This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Before joining Larry with today's episode, let's get a few words from Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land through our conservation today. As a wildlife biologist, one of the things that I do, whenever I look at a piece of property, I look for some of the key browse species that are there. In this instance, I'm on my own personal property, so one of the things I'm gonna look at is Greenbrier. Greenbrier is a really good, outstanding browse species. So is Bordock or Osage Orange or the yopon that's here. And one of the things I'm gonna look at is if, I wanna see if the tips are eaten off. As you can see, the very tips of this particular plant right here, where they're heavy browsing pressure from too many deer, they wouldn't be there. If you're looking for places to determine whether or not you have too much pressure on a place based upon particularly white-tailed deer, look at those brow species such as Greenbrier and a few others. The local biologist can tell you what those are in your particular area. Pay particular attention whether they're hedged way back when they've been eaten on too very much or whether there's a lot of fresh growth on it such as is right here. I'm Larry Weissen for Hayden Outdoors Conservation Today. Now on with today's episode. 
Welcome to the campfire this morning and afternoon, whenever you listen to this thing, we're in the DSC offices. Once again, of course, one of my favorite places on earth is to come to DSC and visit with the people and all the great work that we do here through the organization in the DSC Foundation. We've got a very special guest today, Miss Erica Turgeson. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Miss Erica Turgeson, you are now involved with DSC as far as advocacy is concerned. What is the official title? And then let's see where we go from there. Sure. My official title, and thank you for having me. Oh, I'm honored. Is uh, Government Affairs Director for Dallas Safari Club. Governmental, and what all is that going to entail? That will entail, I live in the D.C. area, unfortunately, Yeah, my sympathies, but... But somebody has to do it and represent (laughs) y'all, so that's me, Um, and I will represent DSC before the Congress, basically, the Congress and Department of the Interior. We've got some great friends up there, and then I suspect there's some people there that maybe not be our friends very often, but, you know, conservation is, is, is a universal thing that so many people are involved in some of them some people may be misinformed sometimes and i'm sure that's one of the things that you're going to be doing as well too is vision with those folks that maybe not are in our court but very possibly could be yes absolutely i think there's a lot of wiggle room there it's um congress isn't really any different than the general public so you're always going to have the people that are 100 you know, opposed to hunting for example and they're not interested in listening to you But you are going to have people in the middle that are interested in conservation. And as you talk about that and explain to them um, in a nuanced way why hunting is conservation, um, hopefully we can change some minds in Washington, D.C. It's not easy, but with the help of the members of Congress that were elected and, and have our backs on hunting and our hunters themselves or understand the importance of hunting, they can help us get that message across in Washington, D.C. To me, that's always been a very important thing. Even with they, maybe they're not hunters, but as long as they have scientific-based information presented to them and they have a mind that's open enough to listen to us, one of the things that I've noticed over the years when you're dealing with a person of that nature, you kind of turn them around pretty quickly most of the time, or at least get them to where they'll listen to you instead of being just adamantly opposed to something. So that's an interesting thing. Now you come to, let's talk about your background a little bit. Where are you from originally? I'm from Colorado. Grew up in a ranching family there. Um, I went to Colorado State and out of college I was offered a job by my local congressman that I had volunteered for in Washington, D.C. I thought I would be there. It's fine. Unfortunately, <laughs> these, these are live and, <laughs> and <laughs> the phone rings. We, we just go with it, and then we don't edit. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Even better. Um, and I thought I'd live in D.C. for a year, and I've uh, been there basically ever since. Oh, my goodness. I know. I'm a glutton for punishment, so. You know, it, it to me, D.C., that country is absolutely beautiful. Uh, it is. And I live in Virginia, um, on a farm in Virginia, so that is the way that you can work in D.C., but go back out to the country and remain sane. And remain sane yes. to, to regain yeah. your sanity. As an out, I mean, I love being outside, so I'm, I'm an outdoorsy girl to begin with, so... 
it's great to be able to be within driving distance to my work, but also come back out and kind of enjoy, enjoy a lot of the things that I fight for on Capitol Hill. Before we get into some of that, I really want to, I want to go back. Tell me a little bit more about your, your, your background. You grew up a ranch in Colorado. What part of the state? Uh, Northern Colorado, Weld County, so near Greeley, Colorado. Yes, real yeah. Colorado. Yeah, South, south of Cheyenne. <laughs> All right. That, the part of Colorado that's trying to be part of Wyoming right now. I can see that. So pretty, pretty conservative upbringing, as you can imagine. Right. And um, I think I learned how to shoot at probably eight years old. So um, very familiar with firearms and shooting and hunting and fishing and all of those type of things. That's such a fantastic area. It's absolutely beautiful up there. We used to hunt uh, out west of Steamboat Springs quite a bit. One of my favorite places. Right, right National Forest and right next to it. And so, yes, shot my first elk up there many, many years ago on the old Jolly Ranch. Uh, we had... Um, now part of Three Forks, I think. Yeah, we had friends up there that had cattle that were on the National Forest permits and we'd help take them up and bring them back down as a little girl. And that was one of my favorite trips oh, I can, every I, I year. Can so much fun. I can imagine. You, we mentioned before we started all this, you're also in, into horses. And of course, growing up on a ranch, you grew up around horses. But yes. now you're living in uh, some of the most beautiful country there is for that part of the world. And you have horses. What do you do with your horses? I fox hunt my horses. Fox hunts your horses. Mm -hmm. Which a lot of people make fun of, but we use hounds. And they're not drag hunts, which a lot of people have heard of. Right. We actually hunt foxes. And um, in some cases, of course, there aren't any foxes. And so we hunt coyotes or, you know, they even hunt wild boar, too. So uh, not in Virginia, but I've been fox hunting in Georgia before. Right. And I'll do that. And, um, and lots of coyotes, too. And it's just a lot of fun. And the hounds are incredible. And watching the hounds work, um, it's just... It's my it's my all time favorite hobby. It's incredible. I, I grew up around my dad ran coon hounds, so we were we had walkers, we had black and tans, we had oh my gosh, blue ticks, all those kind of things. So to me, one of the most beautiful musics, and I mean that 100%. as I said it, is to listen to those hounds in pursuit of something when they're on a, on a hot track mm -hmm. or maybe even jump the animal when they're after it. Uh, several years ago, when uh, John McCain was running for uh, mm -hmm. president, I was invited by him to come up and spend some days with him. And we spent some time there in that part of Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I remember the uh, host that we who, whose place we stayed on was big into hound hunting and big into, into the, the fox hunting with the, with the, with the, with the horses. So congrats. That, I didn't get a chance to do it while I was there. But as I said, I grew up when hunting hounds. And well, there's we, still time. You there, can come out anytime. Well, that's that's kind of on my list. After <laughs> That uh, as, a, as a kid growing up, we had horses, and, and later I had mules, and we just followed our hounds with with the horses as well, too. And it's a lot easier that way. Oh, my gosh, it's so much easier. And, I've, of course, I've spent time hunting, chasing bear in New Mexico and a few other places as mm -hmm. well, too. They're on horseback. You, you, to me, you don't have a whole lot of choices, or I didn't, because I didn't want to. I'm, I'm in good shape, but not that good a shape right. kind of thing. So right. With the fox hunting thing, what is – how do – people in that area feel about it is it i know that there's some um, people so, that we were not necessarily in favor of it but. well fox hunting in virginia there are i think there's 26 recognized hunts now 
Um, and it's very, uh, it's part of the culture. I mean, George Washington was a fox yes. hunter. Mosby was a fox hunter. A lot of people don't know that. They took breaks in the Civil War and for fun would go fox hunting. Um, so it's not like it is in England, for example. Uh, and now, of course, England has tried to ban it. So uh, yes. it is more of a, a farmer's type thing. So you can get as fancy as you want, of course, just like <laughs> the rest of the hunting world. Right. Or you can get as basic. There are a bunch of farmers that own land, and they all get together and with hounds, and we go hunting together. And so, I assume you're hunting post mostly walkers. No, no, it's mostly um, mostly thoroughbreds. I would say there's some um, some quarter horse. Oh, oh, you mean that, hounds? I'm about hounds, but yes, yes. American oh. foxhounds, yeah. English foxhounds. Um, some of the earliest packs were brought over from England, even in the late sixteen, like sixteen eighties, yeah. to Virginia. Yeah, so. Cool, and then of course, as you mentioned, the horses. It's just a, it's just a mixture, probably. Yeah, whatever, whatever people prefer. Of course, there's a lot of racing there, so there are a lot yes. of off the track thoroughbreds that need jobs. So um, their kind of second job ends up being fox hunting, really, which really. most horses love, as you can imagine. Oh, I, so, can, I can absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure the people who ride them enjoy it as much as well, too. Yeah. What kind of saddles do you use? I know we're kind of getting off. You know what? It's English saddles, but um, but in the West, like in Colorado, they have the Arapaho hunt. And you can you can hunt in a Western saddle, too. And uh, I know they have a hunt in Texas. And because, you know, Western is what you right. ride out here. And, I mean, that's how I grew up, Western. Yes. I was the weirdo in my family who rode English. Oh, so now I'm now I'm where I belong in yeah. Virginia, riding English all the time. <laughs> I do ride Western still. But, but um, yeah, you, mainly in, in Virginia, it's all English saddles. Oh, my goodness. Last time I rode an English saddle, Tim Fallon and I were hunting on horseback for reindeer in Norway. Mm-hmm. And that was that was fun. <laughs> I bet that was interesting. That, that was fun because it had been years since I'd ridden at that point, and particularly ridden since I'd ridden an English saddle. So uh, uh, there's uh, less to hang uh, on to. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot less. You have to be we, we you did. have to be fit, and you're grabbing for a lot of mane too. <laughs> well, thankfully, this was nice. It was kind of a walk. Yeah, and everything yeah. else in that situation. Okay, let's go back that a little bit farther. Uh, the, you graduated from college. You went to work for a uh, for a, a senator, a congressman. A congressman. Mm -hmm. Okay. And from there, um, I got lucky, and I was able to go. I ended up working for another congressman who became the chairman of the Natural Resources Committee. Oh, perfect! In the House of Representatives. Perfect. So at age twenty six, I was doing committee work already, which was incredible. Um, and then from there, the Republicans lost the House of Representatives, so I had to find another job, um, and I went and lobbied for a little bit. I worked for the Society of American Foresters. I was their director of forest policy, so I'm kind of a forestry geek as well. Perfect, perfect. Um, fits right into yes, all of us and <laughs> the outdoors that we love. Um, and then I went to the Appropriations Committee, so I was on the Interior appropriations subcommittee which basically funds all of the department of the interior the forest service epa uh, so we decided how much money goes to different programs there so it's very very political 
I can only imagine. I've, I've dealt not very little on the national scale. I've dealt with politics here in Texas as, as one of the co-founders of the Texas Wildlife Association. So we've had some interesting things happen here over the state and over the last 35 years, we, we're I think now in the year 37 of having formed that organization. But dealing with state legislators has been interesting at times, and mm -hmm. interesting being in huge quotation marks as well, too. So I can only imagine some of the adventures, battles, whatever you want to call them, that you're forced to get into. Absolutely. Um, and for example, the first time the um, trophy import ban amendment was offered, I was working on that subcommittee. So we had to respond to that and try to keep it out of the final bill, um, so it was never a dull moment. Delisting of the wolf, when that happened for the Northern Rockies right. ecosystem, I was working on the committee as well, uh, so that's something we worked hard on. There are a lot of very controversial issues. There are. It's, it's a shame people don't look at the science-based information that's there rather than looking at hysteria and emotions. Emotions are very important as far as I'm concerned, and passion that behind it. But unfortunately, so very often, those are misguided mm -hmm. sometimes. They are. But we've done a poor job talking about it in the past. And I think we're really good at talking to each other and not as good at conveying our message you know, to the public at large. With that being the case, with now being with Governmental Affairs here with DSC, do you see that as one of your challenges that you're going to be dealing with? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And then using the DSC membership to reach out to their elected officials and help educate them. Because the number one goal of every elected official is to get reelected. And they do that by making their constituents happy. So sometimes they may not want to meet with the lobbyist, but if the lobbyist has somebody from their district with them, then the, that opens doors that, that maybe work. we normally wouldn't open. Um, obviously, there are those members of Congress and senators that support DSC where we can talk to them anytime we need right. to. But the goal here is to take it a step further and to try to meet with some folks that we've maybe never met with before. And they may not even know about Dallas Safari Club and the fact that they have members, um, they have constituents in their districts that are hunters. And so it's an opportunity to educate those members. So what do you see as the first step in in accomplishing that and how can DSC and our members be it members of the of the parent organization or chapters because we now I just got back from uh, being the MC and speaker at the Northeast chapter up in Connecticut mm -hmm. and of course they're much more closely associated with with the uh, Washington area and some of the problems that are occurring there what's the first step to get us more involved in that to help you? Well, I have to ask people to come to Washington, D.C., which most DSC members groan when I ask them to do that. And I understand. But but I promise when you come, it will actually be a great experience because you will see kind of how the sausage making works. And I think it'll be a lot more pleasant than a lot of people think because on Capitol Hill, nobody there is from Washington, D.C. Right, right. They are from the rest of the United States. And, you know, lobbyists represent people and groups of people. So it's it's a lot better environment than you may think. And you might get a more much more positive reception from politi politicians than you would think. So step one is kind of getting the membership engaged and understanding how important it is, even if you do it 
one time and then you have that contact for life and you can always reach out um, and and make a difference if there's an important vote like on this trophy ban. Right. Can one individual have enough influence to make something happen? It depends. Maybe not, but um, but you have to hold them accountable. Right. They right, work for right. us, exactly. not the other way around. Right. And so they need to know even the people in Connecticut, those, you know, senators and representatives are not our friends, but they should still be held accountable. And they should know that there are DSC members and here's what DSC actually does, not what they think it does. So that's the first step. And you have to you have to do it because, you know, the anti groups are doing it. So we need to counter that. Yeah, the perception and reality thing is always different, and particularly yes. when it comes to hunting so very often, or conservation. Oh, so much And to make so. conservation is hunting, hunting is conservation. I mean, we did, um, there's all this research out there that says most Americans don't even know that there are hunting regulations and quotas. They have no idea. And there's even confusion about poaching with legal regulated hunting, which is so disturbing. So it's our job to communicate that more yeah, clearly. So very often hunting is equated to being poachers. Mm -hmm. And certainly yeah. that's not the case in, in, in any kind of a situation. But how do we go about some of this? I mean, is it the, social media, is that a way of doing it? Is it, is it the personal contact that we need to come to Washington? To sit in in Washington, it's, it's the personal contact. It's the personal contact. Yeah, this, I mean, the social media, and I'm not a social media expert, but the social media wars that's tough, no matter what, because they're going to have the um, they're going to have the arguments and show these horrible pictures of poachers, and you can never take that back if that's people's you know first impression. Exactly. Yes. But on the hill, you can absolutely take a little more time, explain how much money um, we spend on conservation and what we have to go through to get a permit, for example, and what the laws are and what the actual population numbers are. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. And once they do, they see it in a completely different light. And we all have to eat, by the way, too. So uh, that's, an, I mean, you know, the majority of this country still eats meat. So it's another way of explaining that. It kind of does come down to food in a lot of ways. So if you start there, that's some commonality. I've made the statement many, many times that essentially all life on Earth depends upon the death of another organism, 100%. directly or, or indirectly. Yes. And it makes no difference what you're eating. You're responsible for having taken the life of something. The COVID thing has been really interesting because as we have had shortages in grocery stores, all of a sudden, so many people now realize that, yeah, food is in the grocery store, but it doesn't come from the grocery mm -hmm. store. It has to come, has to get there. And I think that's one thing that has really made a difference because you look at the numbers of hunting licenses and fishing licenses that have been sold since the COVID thing, we've greatly increased the numbers. Uh, a lot of them are totally new. Uh, and of course, some of them are people who were hunters and fishermen and then for whatever reason got away from it. Now they're coming back again. But whatever the, the cause is for them to be back again, they're, they're here. And to me, I think along that has gone a long way into maybe the average person that lives in, in a town who bought a gun because all of a sudden they were kind of concerned about their families. Well, now they've got this gun. They're going, 
well, I've got a gun, and there there is hunting, you know, and maybe I can, can maybe I can start contributing food to my own family, kind of thing, or same thing with fishing. So, I think that's Absolutely. opening some doors for us. And uh, but I think it's it's very important that when those doors are open, we figure out how to take advantage of that. A hundred percent. And I, I agree with you. I mean, all this whole problem to me stems from the fact that we're so far removed from nature. And like you said, in, in order for there to be life, there has to be death. Yes. And that is something that a lot of people don't know or understand. Or don't want to know sometimes. Yes. That's, and those are the people that we're never going to reach. No. <laughs> but there's still the vast majority of Americans that are supportive of hunting um, that we just have to continue to explain to them why we hunt, what we do, and have that public support for hunting, which is not that hard. No, no. I, th over the years, uh, I used to crawl on planes, and uh, there was a time frame in there that I wanted not to be recognized as a hunter. And yet, because of all the stuff I've done with TV, and, and first thing I know, people are asking questions. And to the point now that when I crawl on a plane, I, I never go anywhere without hardly ever wearing, not wearing a DSC logo. Mm -hmm. With the total intent of somebody asking me about, what, what why is that elephant on there? Mm -hmm. Well, that gives, opens the door. If they're going to ask questions, chances are their mind isn't totally made up yet. You mm -hmm. know, And maybe if I can present them with some facts and just listen to them talk sometimes, we can sway some of those people to at least be open to listening to scientific data, to be open to realizing that hunting is conservation, as we said, conservation is hunting. Mm -hmm. So there, to me, there's so many challenges that come into play, but you've been involved in so many different aspects. So I'm going to be really looking to you to guide me on some of these things to say, okay, hey, Larry, this is something that you need to be telling people. This is something that we need to be doing. And, uh, the uh, the fact of coming to Washington, as much as I don't like big cities, and I've been to Washington, and I don't particularly like it's it. It's not the worst big city. No, it's, it's not. It's a pretty no, nice they, big city. Yeah, it's not yeah, a concrete I, jungle. No, I've yeah. been in some of those, and I know yeah, that I don't want to yeah. go back there kind of thing. But to me, as, as we move forward with what you're going to be doing with DSC, we talked a little bit about getting our members more involved. What else can we do in terms of that involvement to uh, get them to have a better understanding maybe of what's really going on there and what we can do to help influence things that maybe we're missing right now? Well, um, what we're going to start doing is sending out, um, be, be sure that you read your DSC emails, I would say, um, right, <laughs> because right. we're going to start sending out alerts and we will only do that if we absolutely have to. Um, but it will ask you to contact your legislators. Okay, well, and it will tell you exactly what to do. Good, because that's the, the question. That's that, been missing. Yes, that's, mm -hmm. that it has been. Because uh, a lot of times I've gotten alerts from someplace. And, and the thing about it is I know that my congressman, my senator, or our senators are very much in favor of the right. same thing I am. Right. So I want to learn how I can have an influence on, on some others. Now, to me, if you're a senator from, from Connecticut, you may be a Connecticut. You're still a representative of the citizens of the U.S. So they should be listening to us. Right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You can't vote for them. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they won't listen to so you. So they won't listen to us. Okay. <laughs> so that's you do. Where I, you that's have where to. I to go with yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. And that's why you have to have somebody from the district. But I mean, DSC has a very far reach, and members in many states. So that's not that difficult to do. And then once you've established that contact, then I can follow up and let them know. Um, I will be writing small 500, 500 word article that will kind of give the political update and what's going on. Um, obviously the number one thing that everybody needs to do is vote. Amen. Um, Amen. <laughs> hunters are, and not, I would not say this about DSC members, of course, cause they, I think they're much more politically active than most, but hunters are terrible at voting. Absolutely terrible at voting. And they do not realize that they're rights are at risk every day. So you have to pay attention to it and you absolutely have to vote. A few years ago, I did a uh, talk up in Pennsylvania and in that particular area, there was a problem with, as far as I was concerned, as far as one of the legislators. And I had about 400 people in this room and we talked a little bit about, and years ago, I, I did a few things for the NRA as well too. And we talked about a lot of different things, but my question to the, to the audience was, is how many of y'all voted? Mm -hmm. You know, I said, that's the very basic thing. You're, we're coming up here and, and I've been listening to complaints all day long, but did you vote? And I said, I, honestly, I want to see how many people voted. And it was a relatively, you know, a real small percentage mm -hmm. of people who had actually voted. And so my statement to them was, is if you didn't vote, you can't complain. You can't complain. Yeah. You had the opportunity to. You you have enough right here between you and your friends to where you probably could influence this election if you had gotten you out to vote, your family out to vote, and just a few of your friends. Yeah. And, you know, all the time, it, it seems like one vote doesn't matter because we're in a country of 330 right. million people, right. um, probably more now. Yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about that. But, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but a lot of these elections come down to, I mean, even 71 votes, yes. 1,000 yes. votes. And that means the difference between, you know, one vote on the House floor, either passing the trophy import ban Absolutely. or killing it. Absolutely. So um, it's incredibly important. You mentioned something. I, Corey and I talk about this, Corey Mason, quite a bit, and uh, about some of, the, like, the import bans. The, People go, you're a fox hunter. You run mm -hmm. foxhounds. You have horses. That happens a lot. And you go, well, that didn't affect me. Yeah. And I, I and could it not. Does. It absolutely does. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. Because, you know, Africa is number one. And, and once they end hunting in Africa, um, and we also know what a conservation nightmare that will be and already has been in a oh, lot of places in Africa. Kenya. I mean, among, you know, oh, a perfect example yes. of why you would not want to end hunting. Absolutely. But, you know, Africa's kind of first and they're already um, nibbling around the edges here in the United States and certain states where they've had different predator hunting bands for some reason. Um, but those are the most iconic species, which I will never understand that. But those are the ones that seem to, you know, excite people. So it's it's just on. We're just further down the list here in North America, but they're coming for you. 
A hundred percent. Absolutely. So don't ever think that they're no, not. No, no, no. And they'll look for the most innocuous ways to approach some of these topics to where it doesn't look like, oh, it's not going to affect me in any form or fashion. But yes, it does. But yeah. you're, you're right. That to me, I don't... Hunters assume. need to unite. You yes. know, we are very good at being divided and, and looking at certain hunters a certain way. But we are a minority in the United States. Um, at the end of the day. And we're a minority in Washington, D.C., so we all need to work together and we all need to vote so that we have as much power as possible. Exactly. That's the very basic step one, no matter what, yes. no matter what yeah. is, is get out and voting. And two, like I say, encourage your friends to vote. And it, and to me, I'm, I don't like the term argument, but I've had several discussions with people who were anti, very anti-animal use, very and again, sometimes you have to engage those folks. Some of them you're not going to convince. But uh, I used to do some radio talks years ago where it was like, uh, uh, what do you eat kind of thing? Mm -hmm. You know, vegetarians against sure. omnivores or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and all those kind of things. And some of the people that I would deal with is they go, oh, my God, you shot an animal or you killed an animal. I said, yes, I did, you know. And I said, and uh, for a good reason, I said, what do you eat? Mm -hmm. And they go, well, I eat beans or I eat, and I said, oh, beans? Oh, my God, that's an embryo. You have not even given that that organism the opportunity to experience life. At least with the animals that I've taken, they have experienced life. How can you, and I said, and, you, and they mentioned lettuce, I said, oh, my God, that lettuce, when you pull it apart, you know, I said, you ever seen that little clear stuff? That's lettuce blood, <laughs> you know, and I'd carry it on to that, that way, and some people you'd look at, and you could tell, they haven't heard a word you said or understood, a word, and they don't care because their mind's made up. But there were always a few in individuals that you yeah. would speak to that were listening, and they I, go, and, and it got them to thinking. Yeah. You know? And if if I could do that to make somebody think along those lines to question their beliefs, and may have been very strongly against any of that kind of thing, then I've accomplished something. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen Sacred Cow, but in that documentary there's a vegan who talks about she was trying to grow her own lettuce and slugs kept coming in and eating the lettuce and so she put beer out to drown the slugs and then in the middle of the night she'd get up and she'd let all the slugs go because she didn't want to kill any living thing so then she finally decided that she was just going to buy her lettuce from the grocery store and then it dawned on her that the people growing the lettuce that went to the grocery store probably killed the slugs yes. and she finally realized there is no life without death, Absolutely. no matter what it may be. No so it, it's a fallacy to think that you're not, that that's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if you can just plant that little seed and I have a friend that's a vegan and we have these conversations over and over again. And if I can plant a little seed of doubt with her, that's something. Exactly, exactly. Just to, to for her to question herself, you yes, know, that kind of thing. And that, a lot of times I've noticed that it may it's that seed that you plant. I used to work with a lot of old time ranchers uh, as a wildlife biologist, and we'd have a management program that I wanted to go in a certain direction that need to go because that's where they wanted to head. Mm -hmm. And I learned that if I could over a short or a short period of time or a long period of time make whatever I wanted to happen their idea. So true. Then I was, I'd, I'd plant a seed and I'd watch it grow. And then finally they'd come to me and said, 
I've been thinking, I think we ought to do this, this, this. And I go, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Why didn't, I, why didn't we think about that to start with? Mm -hmm. You know, that is such a great idea. Well, then they're going to go do everything that you want them to do, you know. Yeah. And wildlife, in particular, in those instances, and habitat is what benefited out of mm -hmm. it. Kind of so, and this, to me, the same thing can be done with what we're talking about with, with people when it comes to the, the hunting side of things and uh, conservation. Absolutely. So what's the next step? Uh, the next step. That's a great question. <laughs> this is day three for me, so I appreciate that. But um, the next step is going back to Washington, D.C. and introducing myself as the government affairs director um, for DSC to, to folks on the on the Hill. Um, and then getting some DSC members out and getting them to introduce themselves to their members of Congress. and is, is there a time of year that is more conducive to that sort of thing as far as yes. numbers coming up? So um, let's talk about the upcoming schedule. So the, the Congress will be less and less productive as time goes on because we have the midterm coming elections yes, yes, yes. in November. Right. Um, so they're all going to want to get home as soon as possible and start campaigning so they can win re-election. So basically up until August, they'll be around and doing work. And then after August, things really kind of shut down because they're going to want to be in their districts as much as possible. Um, so it will be between now and August that we'll try and try to get folks out and do as much as possible. Then after the midterms, we'll see what happens, yeah. and uh, and we'll reassess and have a plan going forward for next Congress. And that might be a good time too to just say thank you. Oh, always, you know, absolutely, and that's why the Bull Elephant Award is yes. such a great thing because we need to say thank you yes. to those people that really stick their necks out right. for us. Um, because they need to have friends and they need to know that we personally appreciate it. Uh, just like we all like to be appreciated. It's not easy to be the minority sometimes no. and to fight the things that no. they have to fight. Like the, you know, they talk about the Cecil the Lion incident and the things that are said sometimes on the House floor are um, completely incorrect. There are not the facts of the matter there, but the facts in that case don't really matter right. when someone's on the floor, House floor, talking about it. And so we ask them to go and defend hunting after they hear this horrible story. So, so we need to thank them for that because it's, you know, it's not easy. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk dollars just a little bit. Having been involved in, in some of the political things here in Texas, all we're talking about costs dollars. Whether Absolutely. We it, whether we want it to or not, that's that's bottom line. Mm -hmm. How can we, and we've got a lot of folks that are not DSC members, we're continually trying to encourage people to become DSC sure. members, but those of us who are, are, are DSC members, what, what do we need to be done? You know, how can we contribute? I know that we've we got, have a PAC, a political we, action we, okay, committee. That's where I wanted to go yes. with this, right? Yes. Um, and in t Washington, D.C. terms, it's a pretty small PAC. Right. So we're trying to build that up. Um, you can only contribute to the PAC if you're a DSC member, and the limit is $5,000 per individual. So it's 
Not a lot. It makes a big difference in D.C. And the point of that PAC is then we can contribute politically to the candidates that um, that support hunting and defend hunting and conservation. So that is what is much needed in Washington, D.C. It is just a game of money. That's just the way it's just what it's it is. the way Washington, D.C. works. I yeah. mean, you hear about people's campaign war chests. It's no different than the presidential elections. Um, not always does the person with the most money win, but a lot of times they do. So it's just a um, kind of an unpleasant fact. But money is speech too, as the Supreme Court has ruled. And so, you know, you can you can um, have a lot of impact with the dollars that you donate. So if somebody is listening to this and wants to contribute to the PAC, what is the the step to do? That's a great question. Call me. Okay. (laughs) We're we're working through all that right now. How about if we have, have sent people to DSC Either the, yes. we, I guess we can do some, we can provide it. Call the DSC office. Call the DSC office or just go to the DSC yeah. website. Yeah. And, and that would be the ideal way to do it. I'm sure there'll be something there before too very long. Yes. That sets up the ways and means to which to there are, um There are very strict laws right. around political action committees, which is why um, it is easiest for us to take a check because you have to verify that they are a member of Dallas Safari Club. These are all laws. Right. I didn't make them up. No. But th- there is a huge compliance component with that. So it has to be. Right. Um, that's why there isn't just like a donate button um, on the website, because it's a little more complicated than that to comply with the laws. Right. But hopefully there'll be a there or something there that says yes. send your check to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. And any and every amount helps, too. Absolutely. Every we, little we, bit counts. It does. It really does. Hopefully, I know that as we're going to have our fundraiser for DSC Foundation coming up, and there'll be a, a call at the yes. end of uh, Ms. Fiona uh, Captain Dick's talk, and which people will be able to contribute. But that's an in-house deal. So we'll also, we're also looking, though, for yes, bringing absolutely. people in from and a I'll lot t- of different I'll tell ways. you this. I mean, right now, the... Um, the Congress, the House of Representatives, and even the Senate hangs in the balance. So uh, we could take over, the Republicans could take over the House of Representatives, um, which um, is very likely to happen, but we can help make that happen if if we have a functional PAC. And we can give strategically to candidates that really need it, that have our back, and hopefully get them reelected so they can continue doing their work in Congress. And since this is not a state-oriented organization, it allows us to contribute to key individuals. You can all yes, yeah, and that's um, you can contribute to campaigns, obviously individually right. if you like. Um, but this is specifically coming from the Dallas Safari Club PAC. So it gives us um, a little more sway in Washington, D.C. It gives in us Washington, a greater DC. voice for yes. what we believe in. Yes. As opposed to an individual. Absolutely. Yes. 
So you heard it right there, folks, if you're listening. <laughs> Be watching where you can send your checks, please, because as Ms. Erica said, any amount is going to help. And uh, we've got some interesting battles in the future. And, and uh, we'll come back in, a, in a, not too very long from now. I'd love to visit with you. Maybe we'll get on the phone or maybe I'll come to Washington by golly and say hello. That would we'll be wonderful. And, and, and talk there about some of the issues that we have pressing at the moment. I try to keep everybody as much as I can aware through Corey and uh, of what's going on where we can be of, of help and whether it's national or international kind of thing. But uh, I will tell you this, I am so very pleased, proud that you're with DSC. Thank you. You have no earthly idea. I'm you're, very excited to be you're, here. You're what we've needed for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but please let us know what we can do to help. And uh, I know that you're going to be probably occasionally posting stuff through DSC or through yes. uh, with Carrie with the, our publications and those kind of things. So that's a way to stay in touch. But if you're not a DSC member, become a DSC member because we'll have alerts when they're necessary. And as uh, Ms. Eric said, there'll be a way telling you how you can do things to make things be effective at that moment. There, so There's power in numbers, as we all there's know. There's power in numbers, yes. So join, 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 and contribute, contribute, contribute. Miss Erica, thank you so very thank much for you. being with us around the campfire this morning. I can't wait for the next opportunity. And like I said, we may surprise you and show up in Washington and, and uh, Excellent. wear a Western hat and be looked at. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank really you. appreciate you being with us. You bet. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 